Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. So today, welcome to the Feathered Desert. This is Cheryl and Kirsten is with me and today we're going to talk about um, adorable baby birds and the title of this podcast is let's not pick up the baby <laughs> so baby birds are endearing but just as every new parent learns their baby isn't at isn't at all like an adult so as responsible as baby bird feeding heroes that we are we need to understand the different stages of being a baby bird so that we are able to enjoy them more and help when absolutely necessary and that is important so kirsten's going to talk to us about the three baby bird stages absolutely and i do want to make one comment it's only when absolutely necessary that we're going to help these baby birds so the first way to start off like cheryl said is to understand what's happening outside in the nests so there are three stages of baby birdhood so the first one is going to be a hatchling and that is a baby bird after it hatches from an egg. That's where they get the name from, hatchling. Um, if it's a songbird, it usually does not have feathers and its eyes are closed. That means they're altricial. Most songbirds that we see here in our backyards are altricial. And that means they have no feathers. And we did talk about that in a previous podcast. So if you've already yes. heard that, that's what we've talked about. And when they're a hatchling, their feathers are actually growing in very quickly because they really do need to start using their own body temperature to try to keep warm and uh, that is why one of the reasons they need high amounts of protein so you would be offering stuff like um, suet or mealworms as we have talked about before so that's the hatchling now some babies when they are hatchlings are actually born with down feathers these birds are precocial so that means within almost an hour of them hatching out of that egg they're walking around like mom and dad so those are birds like ducklings, goslings, killdeer, baby quail. They all have feathers when they hatch. And that's because they're ground birds. And they need to be up and moving and running around because that's how they protect themselves. So they're learning to walk very quickly and forage for foods just next to mom and dad. And their parents are there to guide them and to protect them in this stage. So the next stage is going to be nestlings. A nestling is a bird that is developing in the nest. So this is a bird that's not right not yet ready to leave the comfort of the nest some of you are thinking hmm that sounds like my children <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> failure to launch yes um and so these nestlings cannot fly and they need to be fed by mom or dad very dependent on their parents right now and then the next one is going to be a fledgling which is really what this podcast is based about is our fledglings because this is a very interesting time for birds and then this is where we come in where we start feeling like oh my gosh i need to help them but we've got to make sure we know what we're talking about first so a fledgling is a bird that is in its first coat of feathers so it doesn't always look super great but it's got those feathers on and it's capable of moving about on its own its feet are capable of gripping a branch and it has developed some of the flight feathers. Often they'll have very short tail feathers or no tail feather at all, but you'll still see those flight feathers on their wings. Um, at this stage, a bird will venture out of the nest and they start to learn how to survive without its parents. They eventually have to leave the nest, so they got to learn how to be parents. But it hasn't reached its full adult plumage and the feathers look um, are usually loose and kind of soft 
and they do look like they've been through something pretty horrible because they haven't really grown in those adult feathers yet and they're just figuring out everything that's going on a lot of bedhead a lot of bedhead <laughs> it's bed body with these guys so those are the three stages of baby birdhead and cheryl's going to tell us a few more things that we need to know about fledglings yes so here's um some more additional information to help you identify uh, fledglings but also enjoy them so like kirsten mentioned fledglings are still growing their feathers so they can appear very mottled or um, slightly fuzzy or scruffy or you know just totally in a disarray yes the, often the feathers will be missing so you may find uh, find a fledgling um, that has some bare spots that's okay it just it'll catch up with itself and fledglings spend a lot of time on the ground hopping and flapping their wings this is how they build up wing muscles to fly so the house sparrow fledglings hop around after their parents, mockingbirds and curbbill thrashers run along the ground while learning to fly and chasing their parents. Their parents could be flying over your backyard and the babies are chasing them. You might not notice the parents, but the birds, they recognize their parents, the babies do. Young red-winged blackbirds climb cottontails near their nest because you know they um, nest along um, waterways and um, before they can fly. If they fall into the water, they can swim. Who knew? Who yeah. Knew? That's pretty cool. Uh, they can swim well enough at least to make it back to the cattail that, cattail that they fell off of um, to safety. And roadrunners learn to run long before they learn to fly. So again, chasing uh, parent birds, mom and dad, lasts about two weeks. During this time, fledglings are chattering incessantly at their parents um, to feed them. And there's a posture that fledglings have, that they are begging with their mouths open toward the parents and moving their head from side to side, fluttering their wings to get their parents' attention or anyone who will absolutely listen to them. So another adult um, bird that looks familiar or an older sibling, sometimes with grackles, and I've learned recently that with curbbill thrashers, older siblings will um, uh, feed the babies. And Kirsten's going to uh, talk to us more about baby birds. All right. So the baby birds that leave the nest before they are grown up, they will. That's just what they have to do. They can't stay in that nest until they're a full grown adult. They'll never know how to be a bird. So the parent birds have to get their babies out of the nest before they're mature. Otherwise, the baby birds won't necessarily have the skills to survive migration or the leaner winter months. Uh, there is no room in the nest for baby birds to stretch and strengthen their wings. They have to have that. That's terribly important. And being out of the nest gives them practice for foraging and learning their surroundings before they're fully grown. Also extremely important. You got to know where you are and what things you can eat, what things you need to avoid to survive into adulthood. So, but the ba the parents, these are not bad parents. They're not all like, get out, survive on your own. They're going to stay nearby and care for the babies. So they know what a predator is, and they're going to be able to pass that information on to their young through a call or a swoop over them and let them know this is something you need to go. And you have to remember that as humans, parents see us, baby bird parents see us as danger. So, which is good. They need to not be hanging around us being like, oh, look at that big human that comes is going to come over here. They do need to move away from us. So they allow their fledglings to learn what danger is by their behavior so they're never far away from them 
So a bird in this stage often looks notably different from an adult, as we said. So this is hard. This is really hard for a lot of people. Don't be alarmed if you see a bird that looks like it's been out, that it's out of the nest and it looks like some cat has put it in its mouth and spit it back out. I mean, these <laughs> babies, <laughs> these little fledglings are not good looking. And so that's where we as humans have to say, oh, that is probably a fledgling. It looks like it's supposed to. The mom is around here somewhere. And even if it's calling incessantly, that is what they do to get their parents' attention. So it could be a few, I mean, even up to an hour sometimes before the parent isn't nearby where you can see them. It doesn't mean that the parent isn't there in a tree. So uh, just keep that in mind when you see that baby bird. Uh, do also keep in mind too that baby birds often migrate alone. So when they get to that point where they do have all of their flight feathers in, it's very close to when they're gonna start being on their own. And when migration season happens, they might very well be on their own. And migration is perilous. But many young birds who have never migrated do successfully by relying on the instincts that they're born with and sometimes the parental guidance. So even young juvenile hummingbirds migrate all on their own. So that beautiful bird that we all think is so lovely, and eh, they make their kids, their teenagers get out there and they're like, you're on your own, guys. This yep. is where we're going. Yep. Make it's, it or not. It's not easy being a bird and you got to learn uh, firsthand right out of the nest. Yeah, they have a short window <laughs> to get all of those survival skills down pat for what they need. So Cheryl's going to tell us what to do if we do find a baby bird that is out on our porch maybe or in the backyard or in a park something like that what should we do okay thank you Kirsten so the first thing that we want to do is we want to observe we want to wait and see if the parent bird is around and it's not a 10 minute or 15 minute observation window it's a one to two hours you do not want to pick up the baby bird unnecessarily you only want to intervene um, when it's absolutely necessary and we want to intervene as little as possible because we want to make sure that the baby bird stays wild and it's going to learn best from its parents and as Kirsten just um, told us the parents are nearby and I understand this I fight this every day in my backyard because I have two fledgling curbbill thrashers that are absolutely adorable and I so want to lay out there on my patio and feed them bark butter bits through um, with tweezers. But if I do that, I will have to do that for the rest of their life. And they just, you know, they can live a long time, five yeah. plus years, and they will become dependent on me to feed them. And that does not give them the best opportunities to be the wonderful bird that they could be. So um, there is um, opportunities when you find... Um, a baby bird make sure that you're watching a fledgling or a nestling we went over the differences so if you find a nestling you can put the, if you know where the nest is you can put the nestling back in its um, nest um, nestlings belong in the nest fledglings if they're out of the nest most likely it's because their siblings or their parent has told them you know you need to get out and the parents are nearby if you, I know this works with doves, so I'm going to say if you find a baby dove or two, because we get a lot of calls about doves, um, you can and you cannot locate the nest, and doves are not the best nest makers um, <laughs> out there. Uh, you can um, take a small uh, woven basket, not plastic, but something that's woven out of natural fibers, 
line it with uh, dry leaves or grasses uh, from your backyard and you can place that nest off the ground about five or six feet in a tree right around where you found the baby birds sitting. You can secure it with bread ties to a branch or two, like in a fork um, of, of the two branches, and place the baby's uh, doves in the basket and wait to see if mom and dad show up. I know this works. Um, you do have to keep an eye for one to two hours. Um, mom will thank you because you built a nest a whole lot better than, um, <laughs> than she, she did. <laughs> than she did. And I've had my doves reuse the basket because you know they have more than one set of babies. But you do need to observe and make sure that the um, doves especially are getting the parental care. And then when you find a baby bird, just check out the surroundings. Uh, make sure that you can keep the baby bird safe. And that doesn't mean building a fence around it. That doesn't mean hovering. That doesn't, what that means is if it's near a sidewalk, make sure it can't get trampled. Now, uh, fledglings can fly a little bit and uh, they can scoot. They're working up their leg muscles, but they can scoot and perch. So if you can scoot it underneath um, a bush, off, off the sidewalk so it can't get trampled or run over. Um, or sometimes you can shoo it up a little high into a, a bush. Then the parents are gonna find it because once you're gone, there's gonna be some chatter going on and that is the parents and the baby bird talking to each other. The only time that there would be a possibility of needing to consider to, uh, I hate to say this, possibly um, remove it or change its location would be if there's a dog or a cat. And right, that, a dog or a cat that you cannot put up. If it's your right. own dog or your own cat, bring them into the house. Correct. If it's a neighbor or something more public, then obviously you're yes. not in control of that. Yes, so um, that is the only time that you would want to um, disturb uh, the fledgling. And Kirsten's gonna go over what you do if you have to pick up the bird. All right, so if you have to pick up a baby bird, the number one thing to remember is you wanna stress this bird as little as possible. So we're not picking this bird up and bringing it up into our face and being like, oh, you kidding, oh, so, so adorable. No, that is gonna really stress out this bird. And they can have, uh, I mean, they can stress out from that. They can have heart palpitations. You can even possibly give them a heart attack and kill them. And we certainly don't wanna do that. That's not the point of doing this. So if it is literally the last option that you have, you want to put gloves on when you're handling the young birds. And one that is to help the baby bird, our oils in our hands can get on their young feathers and it can make it um, terribly difficult for them. Then also these birds you have to remember are wild birds. They can carry diseases that they can transfer to us. So the gloves are for their protection as well as our protection. When you are completely done, um, if those are gloves that are disposable, just throw them out. You don't want to keep them again. If they're like a terry cloth glove or something like that, then you want to leave them out in the sun so they can sit there. And if there's anything on it, the UV rays from the sun will kill off that disease. But you want to wash your hands very well after you have uh, uh, had to pick up this bird, even if you're wearing gloves, just as a precaution. And when you have these baby birds, whether it is a nestling or a fledgling that you feel is in enough danger that you need to bring it out of its environment, do not give it any food or water. We don't know how to do that properly. Unless you are a licensed rehabber, which we're gonna talk about in just a few moments, then you may not be able to give that baby bird either the proper food or the proper water. It's, and I say proper water, and you're thinking, hmm, what other kind of water is there? It's regular water, <laughs> but putting it into their mouth is very difficult because 
their trachea is right underneath their tongue. And when they're begging for food, if you get any water or food in that trachea, you're going to aspirate them, which means that a foreign substance has gotten into their lungs and it, it could be fatal for them. Yeah, it opens them up to pneumonia. Yes, and pneumonia is not good. When you have lungs and air sacs all together and you get pneumonia in there, it's often fatal for birds. So do not give baby birds fruit or water unless you have come in contact with a rehabber who has told you specifically what to do. And Cheryl's going to tell us a few things that we should not do with a baby bird before we talk about rehabbers. Yes. So there are five things that uh, Kirsten and I uh, would suggest you not do with a baby bird. And um, only move them. The first one is only move them if absolutely necessary, such as a dangerous situation, uh, too young to be on the ground. So a nestling um, with few feathers. And we know we're repeating ourselves. But we wouldn't be repeating ourselves if we didn't think that this information was important. And we want to make sure that our listeners um, are the best bird heroes that they can be. So yes. we are going over this information more than once. Um, like she said, do not cuddle them. Nestle, nestlings do need warmth, like Kirsten mentioned. But your hands should be enough. And um, you can uh, cup them in your hands um, or and get them into a small box lined with paper towels um, until you get them to a licensed rehabber. Again, do not study them, very stressful. Uh, do not feed them. And the last one is please do not adopt them. The best course of action is to bring it to an experienced and licensed wildlife rehabber as birds raised by humans will not develop the necessary behaviors to survive in the wild as kirsten reminds me every time i tell her i so want to feed my um, baby curbill thrashers keeping any wild bird captive even with the intent to release it later is a violation of the federal migratory bird treaty act and can result in fines or criminal charges kirsten's going to go um, give us a little more information Yes, we don't want you guys to do anything that is going to get you in trouble and definitely not get that little bird in trouble either. Not that they would arrest the bird, but <laughs> that little bird, we want him to go out and grow up and be a, a parent bird so that they can survive and have the next generation of birds out there for our next generation of humans. Yes. So it is a very harsh truth that infant mortality is very high among wild birds. And the majority of baby birds just do not survive to maturity. While it is tempting to care for baby birds, understanding what not Very to do. Tempting. It is tempting. It is. I know Cheryl tells me every day. Um, but when, since it is tempting to care for baby birds, understanding what not to do when you come across a young bird is essential to providing the best care for that healthy, wild bird. So things that you can do to help our songbirds in the Phoenix area, as well as really across the country, is keep your cats indoors and be watchful of neighboring cats. Now, I know a lot of people, my parents have cats and they have an indoor outdoor cat. We have this discussion every day, every time I talk to them. <laughs> Your cat does not have to be outside. You can provide them a amazing life inside with play, with toys that are like prey items that they can catch. You can even build yourself an outdoor catio so that they can actually be outside, go out onto your porch and get that fresh air and watch everything. But don't let them out. 
Um, cats outside are actually one of the top 10 reasons that we're losing our songbirds, especially in our suburban areas, because they kill them. They don't necessarily eat them, but cats are very inclined to be predators. And that's something very important to them. It's integral to who they are as a cat. That's why we have to provide them that activity inside. Yes. I have four indoor cats. So they are very happy just watching the birds. Yes. <laughs> so make sure your windows are safe with screening or decals. Uh, if you have questions about that kind of stuff, you can come down to the WBU Mesa store and we have these great new decals that go on the outside of your window that has UV filters on them so the birds can actually see them even better. But that is a great way to keep birds safe in your backyard. Um, provide parent birds with the best food choices to raise healthy, strong babies. So that's a great way for you to help birds out there is give them that good quality food. So you can listen to our other podcasts about seed and suet, and that'll help you make really great choices about the types of food that you offer in your backyard. And then enjoy the antics of your youth that is flourishing in your backyard. Watch those little fledglings jump around because they really are quite amazing when you watch them. They're very cute. And sometimes when they're wobbling around out there, you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't handle that. They're so cute. So watch that from a distance. And then um, we have a list of wildlife rehabbers in the Phoenix area that we're going to put in our show notes. So check that out. And that will help you get a fledgling or a nestling if we're at that last moment where we have to uh, intervene to a licensed wildlife rehabber that we'll be able to feed them properly and raise them correctly so they can still actually be a wild bird outside. Yes. Okay. Is there anything else you have left to talk about I, with fledglings? I don't, but I'm going to go right into the plant spotlight. All right. And Kirsten, today I chose uh, for the plant spotlight, I chose the saguaro cactus. Awesome. I know. It is a totally awesome plant. Um, I chose it because, well, it's just totally cool. And um, <laughs> not that I think that people need to go around planting uh, saguaro cactuses, but we're surrounded by them in the Phoenix Valley. And just to introduce you to this cool cactus that you see driving up and down the uh, freeways. So the saguaro cactus is the largest cactus in the United States and is one of the largest cacti of the Sonoran Desert. And saguaros are like trees. Um, there are tree-like cactus, excuse me, and they're as tall as trees and they have branches like trees. Their arms generally bend upwards, although I've seen some saguaro cactus where, you know, one arm is going down and one arm is going up. And saguaros are covered with protective spines and white flowers in the late spring and red fruit in the summer, which is the flowers and the fruit is why we have the Gila woodpecker and the white winged doves. Now, Sororos is not currently listed as a threatened or endangered uh, plant, but the state of Arizona has strict regulations about harvesting, a collection and destruction of species. And I know that the United States Forest Service, as well as the Arizona um, Fish and Game, have down in the Sororo National Park, they have put GPS systems in Sororos that are, um, a, mm, I wanna say uh, less than 18 inches hmm. because there is black market for Sororos mm. and they will go into the national parks and they will um, dig them up. And so there is someone actually monitoring the GPS systems in their national park um, and when they see a sororo moving, <laughs> they're going to be like, well, that's interesting. Go, well, that's a, yes, it's grown legs. And they will go out and investigate it and they will re 
they will confiscate the sororal and they will replant it. Another interesting thing about sororal is that when you replant it, which there are companies that will rehome sororals when developments. Right, and they're licensed to do that by the state. Licensed to do that. Yeah, from your property or something like that. Yes, but it's pretty tricky because you have to replace the sororal back exactly facing the sun in exactly the same location that it was originally. That's so interesting. It is. Otherwise, it won't um, survive. So it knows. It, it somehow has that stored in its... It doesn't have a brain, yeah. but it somehow it knows. Um, Sororas are very slow growing, and a 10-year-old plant might be an inch and a half tall. Yeah, they grow like, what, an, an, an inch every five years or something yes. like that? Yeah. Yes. Sororas can grow to be between 40 and 60 feet tall. And when rain is plentiful, the sororo is full and is fully hydrated. It can weigh between 3,200 and 4,800 pounds. And in the right conditions, it's estimated that sororos can live to be as much as 150 to 200 years old. Sororos grow best from seeds. So if you want to mm. make the investment um, and you don't want to pay to have one rehomed because that's expensive, you have to make the investment to plant it as a seed because cuttings don't work. Some mm. cacti do really well with uh, cuttings. The sororo is not one of, one of them. And here's another interesting factor. They can actually predict the weather. Really? So when they know, when they sense that a good monsoon is coming, they will start to grow an arm. Oh. Prior to the rains because they store the water and they will use the water and the nutrients that they've stored to grow an arm. If they sense that it's not going to be a good monsoon season, they won't. They will hang on to it. Isn't that? That is fascinating. It is fascinating. All those it's weather a... predictors are weathermen on the news in Phoenix. Better watch out. Yeah, We could replace them it, with a sororo. It could do the, it could do the weather. <laughs> yes, by a sororo. We could see a sororo out there pointing to the... Pointing to the monsoons. They're yes. coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was so much more I could talk about. Oh, this yes. Cactus, but yeah. I'll end it there. All right. Well, that's more than enough information, I'm sure. It's so fascinating. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to our fledging season podcast with our unique and unusual name. And we hope that we gave you some information that you need. And don't forget to check out our podcast show notes for a list of rehabbers near you. Thanks, everybody.